We're going to pick up reading in verse 19, 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19. The Bible says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is naught, and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of the waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Now up to this point, when we began our text tonight, we're cutting into Elisha's time in Jericho. And up to this point, Elisha's time in Jericho really seems to be almost a waste of time because he is waiting on the faithless sons of the prophets to finish their fruitless uh, search for an Elijah that they feel like God has let down somewhere. And uh, it's a waste of time. Elisha told them it was a waste of time. And yet they did it anyway, they went anyway, and uh, they ended up getting a big, I told you so, at the end of it, and that's what we looked at on last week. But what's amazing to me is that um, what seems like a waste of time uh, to us really might be a divine delay. I'm not saying that God sanctioned the doubts of these sons of the prophets, but I'm glad God can overrule our insufficiencies and God can overrule our weaknesses and He can use them for His glory. Because it seems like as Elisha is tarrying in Jericho, and maybe even what we would look, like, look at as a waste of time, it seems like God uses that to accomplish His purposes. Because it is while Elisha is delayed in Jericho that an opportunity arises for the people of Jericho, the men of this city, to get some much-needed help for a very horrible, very desperate situation that is in Jericho that we just read about tonight. I want to look at the problem that we find here in Jericho. Let me make a couple initial observations about it before we get to the message. First of all, I want you to note that the problem in Jericho was a horrible problem. It was a horrible problem. Do you see what's going on? We read it in verse number 19. They said... Uh, the water, this is at the end of verse number 19, the water is naught and the ground barren. There was something wrong with the water supply in Jericho that was causing death and barrenness. That's what the Bible says in verse number 21 when these waters are healed in our text. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. Can you imagine having poisonous waters where the water supply was causing death and causing the ground not to bring forth fruit and uh, some ancient Jewish uh, historians even recorded that there were miscarriages that were very prominent in that area. Women were not bringing their, their babies to full term even livestock in their herd they were not reproducing like they should have been because of the water supply that was in that area I don't know exactly how that death happened. Maybe it was in the form of miscarriages, but there was a death 
in that land. There was a barrenness in that land. And all of it could be traced back to this water supply. What was supposed to be a source of life in Jericho had become a source of death in Jericho. Do you see how that would be a really bad problem? They couldn't just pick up a Dasani water at the gas station, purified water. There, that, that, that water supply running through Jericho, that was their livelihood. That was what fed their and, and irrigated their crops and their lands. And of course, that was their food and that was their economy and all that. And so this water supply, just one thing being, uh, being a, a, a poison affected so many different areas of their life. It was a horrible problem. But we see as we read here, not only was it a horrible problem, but we read that it was a hidden problem. It was a hidden problem. Do you see that in verse number 19? Look at verse number 19 again. The men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord seeth, but the water is gnawed and the ground barren. They come to Elisha and they say, Elisha, as you look out over our city and as you look around, he said, they said, Elisha, it may look like there's nothing wrong. It may look like everything's wrong. The situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord see it. As you can see with the naked eye, with the natural eye, with the human eye, with the fleshly eye, everything looks like it's fine here in Jericho but you need to know that under the surface you need to know that hidden from uh, from your view are things that are going on that are poisonous and that are harmful and that are destructing and that it's absolutely having a devastating effect on our land. It's what was under the surface that was killing them. It wasn't what everybody could see, but it was a problem that was under the surface. How many understand that? It was a horrible problem. It was a hidden problem. It was an historic problem. It was an historic problem. Because when we think about Jericho, we were reminded of the curse that God, through Joshua, associated with this city. Do you remember if we were to go back to Joshua chapter number 6 and we find the, the children of Israel after they've crossed the Jordan River, the very first city they come to is Jericho and they march around the walls and we know about that. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And we know about that story and Rahab the harlot and all that being saved and her family. What a wonderful picture it is of salvation. But it's a wonderful picture of salvation because Jericho was a judge city. But long before they ever even went into the land of Jericho, God had already told them, this is a cursed city. Don't you take anything out of it. Don't you mess with anything. You leave it all right there. Don't you take anything for yourself. And listen, and he put a curse. Joshua, uh, by the word of God, associated a curse with this city. And here's what he said. Cursed be the man man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho, he shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Uh, Joshua said, anybody that tries to come along and rebuild this city, there will be a curse on their life. They'll lose their firstborn son while they build the first part, and they'll lose their secondborn son while they build the second part. And when Achan went in that city, he took of what? He should have not taken up. We all know that story. And here's what the Bible calls it, Joshua 7.1. Here's what the Bible calls it. Achan took of that accursed thing. There was a curse associated with this city. And just true to the Word of God, when we started this study of Elijah, if you go back to 1 Kings 16, you'll find out that 
When we started this study of Elijah, we looked at Ahab. The Bible gives us just a little history here. And it says in 1 Kings 16, 34, in his days, talking about the days of Ahab when he was reigning on the throne, did Hiel, the Bethelite, build Jericho. Now he did what God said not to do. He did what God said would be a curse if you did this thing. And he did it. And guess what? Just like God said would happen, he laid the foundation thereof in Abiram, his firstborn, and he set up the gates thereof in his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. Just like God said, God said there's a curse on this city and there'll be a curse on the man that tries to build this city again. God did not want Jericho rebuilt, but yet here it is. People are inhabiting this area again and they are under a curse. They are being poisoned by these waters in this area that seems to be under the judgment of God. This goes way, way, way back. This problem goes way, way back. Do you see that? It's a horrible problem. It's a hidden problem. It's a historic problem. But I'm so thankful as I look at this text, before this text is over, I find out that it's a healed problem. Amen. God heals these waters. And before the end of our text tonight, there is an eternal healing that takes place in this city. So it's a horrible problem. It's a hidden problem. It's a historic problem. And it's a healed problem. Eventually, God heals these waters in an amazing, amazing way. God reverses the curse in this city. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. I want to preach on the Lord that reverses curses. Amen. We have a God that reverses verses, curses. And we see that here in this text. Now, if you're any kind of Bible student at all, and if you're, if, if you're any kind of Bible thinker at all, then you ought to have alarm bells going off all over the place in your mind. And if you don't, let me tell you why you should. Because if that doesn't sound like a familiar situation, I don't know what does. A horrible problem that was a hidden problem, that was a historic problem, that turned into a healed problem. Does that not sound like the problem of sin? Everything in the world world is affected by sin. It's a horrible problem. It affects every area of our life and it's a hidden problem. You can look good on the outside. You can have it all together on the outside and you can look like everything's pleasant and everything's right. You can put a big smile on your face. You can live in a big house and you can drive a new car and you can have loads of money and you can look nice and beautiful and, and have everything this world could ever dreamed of on the outside but sin is an inside job and sin is a hidden problem and that's where sin lies and eventually it does come out but it starts out as a hidden problem it's a historic problem because our curse goes all the way back further than Joshua crossing the uh, crossing the Jordan River did I say the Red Sea a little bit ago it's the Jordan River I mean if I said the Red Sea Joshua Moses crossed the Red Sea with the children of Israel Joshua led them across the Jordan River all right don't get that wrong and uh, it goes further back than that. How many of you know our curse goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden? It's a historic problem. It goes all the way back to the first man and the first woman and the first sin and the first act of disobedience. And God put it, and ever since then we've had a curse on our life. But I'm glad it doesn't end there. Aren't you glad that there's a healer? Aren't you glad that there's a God that can take care of our horrible problems and our hidden problems and, and our historic problems? And I'm glad one touch from God. He can reverse the curse. In fact, God specializing in reversing curses. Thank God. Amen. 
I'm glad we have a God that reverses the curse. And it doesn't just apply to salvation, but it applies to all the other issues of our heart as well. You know the Bible says in Proverbs, I love this verse, here's what the wise man told his son. He said, keep thy heart, this is Proverbs 4, keep thy heart with all diligence. He said, for what? Out of it are the, the issues of life. You know that word issue, is a, it's a, it, it speaks of water. That term, is a, it means to flow out. Sometimes streams of water are called issues. It's a, I don't know if you'd call that an aquatic term or a nautical term or whatever, but it, it, it references water is what that is. It has the idea that your, your heart is a, is, a, is a spring. Your heart is a hub. And out of that heart flow all the issues of life. Everything comes out. If the heart is bad, if the heart is poison, if the heart is wrong, everything that comes out of your heart is going to be wrong and your actions will be wrong and your words will be wrong and your thinking will be wrong and your Life will be wrong. Everything starts with the heart. That's why, that's why the wise man told his son, Solomon told his son, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep the junk out of that spring. Keep the junk, keep the riffraff out. Because if it's in the well, it's going to come up in the bucket. And that's the way that life works. And our hearts are the hub where all kind of secret sins can reside. And everything can look good on the outside. And everything can look wonderful on the outside. And you can look like you're all buttoned up and you got it all together on the outside. But on the inside, uh, there can be death and barrenness coming out of your life. But I am so thankful to be able to tell you tonight that we have a God that heals secret sins. Talking about bitterness and anger. Now listen, you get a lot of amens. You preach on drunkenness and Baptists will amen you. Amen. Whether they're sober or not. Amen. You preach on sodomy, they'll say amen. You preach on adultery, they'll say amen. You preach on fornication, they'll say amen. Oh, we amen all kind, of, all, all kind of... We like when the preacher preaches against sins that none of us are doing. We like when the preacher preaches on sins that at least nobody knows that we're doing. Get them abortion doctors. Get them sodomites. Get them liberals. Get all that. Get all that. Get them Democrats, preacher. Amen. We'll shout you down. Amen. What about them? Listen, I'm telling you, that's not what, it's not abortion that's killing our church. Come on now. It ain't sodomy that's killing us. It's them secret things. It's them hidden things. It's bitterness. Oh, man. It's unforgiveness. Hatred. It's anger. It's grudges. It's lust. Pride. It's them secret things that poison our life. I want you to notice real quickly. I told you this is this is so simple. This application of this text is so simple tonight. Simply, can't you see it? It's just there's a hidden problem that has manifested consequences, but needs a divine touch. Needs a divine healing. No, I'm here to, here to tell you that God is the only one that can touch your heart. You see, the preacher might can make you conform some things on the outside, but only God can touch your heart. Only God, only God. It takes a divine miracle. The preacher, sometimes he can make, at least when you come into church, he can make you dress right and make you act decent and, and talk decent. And you might, your parents, listen kids, your parents might be able to make you conform on the outside, but it takes a divine work of God to touch a heart and actually make it real on the inside. 
Do you see that picture in this text? Very simple. I'll just give you a couple observations, some, some, some ways that God brought about this healing in our text, this healing of the waters. Reverse the curse. <clears throat> Number one, I want you to note this. The grief that was acknowledged. The grief that was acknowledged. I want you to note, very, I told you this is very simple. I, I just made some very simple observations here. This is a, probably a primary Sunday school lesson tonight. But I want you to notice that the men of the city, look at verse number 19. It says, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee. The situation of the city is pleasant. As my Lord said, but the water is not the granite man. I want you to note, here's just a very simple observation. It was the men of the city that went to Elisha for help. And it's a simple truth, but it's a powerful truth, and it is the truth. And, and, and you can't get around. There's no detour around this step. There's no detour around this truth right here. And that is this, is that you will never get help. You will never change. Everything is going to stay the same unless you acknowledge that there's a problem. Isn't that what they did? The men of the city went to Elisha. Now what's amazing to me is, I don't know how long this has been going on. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure what the time frame on everything is. I'm not sure what made them ready to reach out to Elisha for help at this point. Because if you know, earlier in the chapter, Elijah and Elisha, they already came through Jericho. In fact, there are sons of the prophets that live in Jericho. There is a representation of Jehovah God that is stationed in Jericho. There have been the man of God, Elijah, before he went to heaven. He came through Jericho with Elisha. What is it now that made these people now at this point cry out for help? I don't know what it was. My, my, they might have just got tired, sick and tired of all the deaths and all the barrenness, but there was a point in which they said, alright, enough is enough. That's too many deaths. That is, that's too much barrenness. There is too much grief. We got to get some help. Let's go find God. And I'm I'll tell you what, there's got, if, if there's ever going to be any change in our hearts and ever going to be any change in our life, there's got to be that point where we say, Lord, I'm sick and tired of the way things are. God, I'm tired of being away from you. God, I'm tired of being cold on the inside. God, I'm tired of being backslid. I'm tired of the death that's in my life. I'm tired of the barrenness that's in my life. And that at some point, I don't know how many deaths have been. I don't know who it was that died. But it finally got a hold of those men and they said, we're tired of what's going on around here. We gotta find God. We gotta find some help. We're sick of how things are around here. And they acknowledge the grief that was going on in their city. How long did it take them to get ready for this help? How long is it gonna take in our lives? How many more sleepless nights do you want? How many more days of conviction do you want? Y'all know what conviction is? That grief of soul. How many more relationships need to die? How many more young people need to go off into the world? How many, how, how, how many more dead services do we need to have until we finally realize, God, we got a problem and we need you to intervene. We need you to do a work. They had to acknowledge their grief. 
And I'll tell you, it I know that's simple. I know that's simple. The men of the city went and got Elisha. I know that's simple, but it's a powerful, profound truth. You got to reach out. You got to get some help. You got to acknowledge your problem. As long as you sit on the pew as, uh, and, and start singing, uh, you know, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. As long as that's your anthem right there and that preacher ain't going to touch me and the Holy Ghost sure ain't going to do nothing in my life and I'm going to sit here. I got this bitterness in my heart. I got this sin in my life. I got this undercover problem in my life, but I ain't going to let it move me. I ain't going to let it touch me, and I'm not going to reach out. I'm not going to reach out to God for any help at all. And as long as that's you right there, you're going to live with death and barrenness in your life. When are you going to get sick of it? Because you ain't going to get any help till you do. I don't know about you, but I can't live that way. I can't live like that. Keep short accounts. Well, God, amen. reach out for help. The grief that was acknowledged. Secondly, oh, this is so simple. I'm almost embarrassed to preach it, but it's just so simple. There was the grief that was acknowledged, and there, there was the, the guidance that was accepted. There was the guidance that was accepted. Look at what it says in verse 20. And he said, here's what Elisha said, Bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. Now, we'll get to that in just a minute. But here's what I want you to notice. And they what? Brought it to him. Oh, man, this is so simple. Listen, they realized they had a problem, and then guess what they did? They did what God told them to do. Obedience. Isn't that simple? You know, most people, they're looking for some mystical, magical, wizard of Oz kind of, you know, preacher or God that can just wave their hand over the problem and fix everything and do everything. Listen, I don't care. Listen, it doesn't matter if Jesus Christ himself is preaching in this pulpit right here. Until people are willing to get obedient and do what God told them to do, there will be no changing of anything. They refuse to listen to Jesus. They refuse to listen to John the Baptist. They refuse all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. As long There's no magical thing. If Elisha said, bring me a new cruise and put salt in it, and they said, Elisha, that's crazy. That'll never work. We've already threw salt in the river. Try that out. We've already done. As long as they would have done that, if they would have dug in their heels and been disobedient, it didn't matter who was the prophet there telling them what to do. They would have never got help. It takes obedience. That's where the miracles are. See, people are waiting on it. God, you, 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 you fix things and then I'll obey you. That ain't the way it works. The miracle comes in the obedience. The miracle comes. In fact, God, it seems like He almost always operates that way. You can see that in all kinds of miracles in the Old Testament, but especially in the, in the ministry of Jesus. I just thought about a couple that come to mind. You could probably make a longer list, but I thought about when the water was turned into wine. You know what, where it started? It started with Mary saying, whatever He tells you to do, just do it. And Jesus looked at those servants and He said, I want you to take these water pots and I want you to fill them up with water. Now when, you can't, John chapter 2, you read it when you get home. When did that water turn into wine? I have no idea. But I do know this. It never would have happened unless there would have been some simple obedience. The miracle happened during the obedience. While there was simple obedience, God did a miracle. When the blinded eyes were open, He told that man, go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. 
There had to be obedience and the miracle came during the obedience when the 5,000 were fed. He told those disciples, you got to break the bread. you gotta, you got to distribute the food. you got to give it out. Feed these men. And where did the miracle take place? I have no idea. But while the disciples were being obedient, God performed a miracle. God did the miracle. And I tell you, it works like that over and over and over. Listen, when Lazarus was being raised from the grave, what did Jesus say? Roll away the stone. There's got to be some obedience. You obey and I'll do the miracle. In simple obedience is where you'll find your miracle. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's that way in salvation. When you got saved, salvation is the greatest miracle that could ever be. How many believe that? There's obedience in that though, isn't it? Repent, believe. I believe that. I'm not a Calvinist tonight. They believe God saves people and then they believe. I believe, you, I believe the Bible teaches you got to believe. you got to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and then He'll save you. Amen. Obedience. That's not a work. I'm not talking about work salvation. I'm talking about submission, submitting to the Lordship of Christ, obeying what He said to do, and the miracle, you'll find it. You'll find the miracle in the obedience. That's where it's at. I know that's simple tonight, but that's where their miracle was. Miracle was in obedience. If they never found a new cruise and brought it to Elisha, their waters would have never changed. There was the guidance that was accepted. And it's so amazing to me that people say, I want help, and I need help, and I need to do it. But they're not living in obedience to the simple things. Simple things. Listen, you got you to obey the simple things. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. I know people don't hear. They, I, everybody thinks their problem is the most complicated problem that's ever, you know, there's never been a problem like my problem, and, and it's just so special. Now, the Bible says there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. You don't have anything special going on in your life. I don't care what Barney told you, you're not special. I don't care what your grandma said, you ain't special. All right? You're the same. There ain't nothing new under the sun. We all are the same. You, the problems you're facing, people have been facing them for 6,000 years. About every problem we go through, you can find it in the Bible somewhere and because somebody already went through it. Isn't that right? It's there. And it's amazing to me how uh, people think that their problem is so... That, 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 that the simple things that the preacher that they're tired. If, like honestly, if my points tonight were read your Bible and pray and come to church, you would you would zone out. You'd fall asleep tonight because we've heard that so many times. But would it surprise you to know that you'll probably find the miracle you're looking for for your issue if you get in your Bible, be faithful to church, get on your knees and pray, ask God to help you. Would that surprise y'all tonight? To know that it's just simple obedience that is probably the answer to 99.999999% of all your problems, if not all of them. Isn't that amazing? Simple obedience. They accepted His guidance. So there was the grief that was acknowledged. There was the guidance that was accepted. Thirdly, let me say this. There was the grace that was applied. The grace that was applied. I I note that... um, this new cruise and the salt. You say, what does that mean? What's the significance of this new cruise and the salt? Well, let me tell you, I have no idea. 
All right, and neither does anybody else. <laughs> Everybody's got ideas here and there about all this stuff. It was just simply what Elisha used to demonstrate God reversing the curse in that city. It's what God used to be an outward representation, kind of like the mantle. It's just an outward representation of something that was spiritual, something that God was doing right there. But I thought about a couple things. Let me just give you, let me just bounce some ideas off of you since everybody gets to have some opinions. I thought about this. We don't know everything that what this means. You know what a cruise is? It's like a little bottle. But here's what's amazing to me. Elijah didn't just ask for a cruise. He asked for a new one. He said, bring me a new cruise. You know what that meant? It was something different. It was something that had never been used before. Now listen to this. This is real simple, but listen to this. Something new. I'm going to tell you something. If you keep trying the same things, you'll keep getting the same results. Over and over and over. Elisha said, I'm sure y'all tried everything under the sun. Bring me something new. Let's try something new. And by the way, there's nothing. If you're looking for something new to help you, you won't find it under the sun. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. But that doesn't mean there isn't something new over the sun. Amen. Beyond the sun. And I'm going to tell you something. Give Jesus a try. Amen. Because He's the only one that I know that can take things and make them brand new. Got a new cruise. I thought about something else. Think about, think about the logic in that new cruise. Just the, it makes sense because you get, a, you get a little bottle, you get a, little, a vessel, that's what a cruise is, a little jar, a vessel, some kind of bowl, something like that. It would have been a small vessel. More than likely, if somebody would have brought him any kind of a vessel out of, somebody's, out of somebody's personal stash out of their house, more than likely, at some point, the bitter waters, the, 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 the uh, dangerous, the poisonous waters of, of Jericho, at some point, they probably would have touched that, that bowl. Isn't that right? You see what Elijah said? He said, you need to bring me a new one. We need something that's pure. We need something that the poisonous waters have never touched. We need something that, that, the, that, 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 the, that the impurities have never, ever, ever got a hold of. We need something that has never been contaminated by this cursed water. And I'm going to tell you something. Everybody else in the world's got a solution for your problem. Everybody in the world's got an answer. And you can go to anybody you want to. But I'm going to tell you, the best of men are just men at best. And every single man, every single man of God, every single they're just a, a vessel that have uh, some impurities in them and they might can help you a little bit but you're going to need somebody pure you're going to need somebody without sin you're going to need somebody that sin has never touched and sin can, does not have a hold of and there's only one man I know like that and his name is Jesus Christ and if you need some help you need to go to Jesus because he's the only one that's actually pure and never been contaminated by the filth of sin Amen He's the only one that can truly help any of you. Everybody else has some contamination in their life. But Jesus doesn't. He's pure. He's holy. He's pure. So that new cruise, maybe there's some significance in that newness of it. And then, and then the Bible says that they put salt in it, and then they put the salt in, in the water there. Now, I do know this, that salt in your Bible, is, it's a picture of grace. It speaks of preservation. We are kept by grace. It speaks of flavor. Grace is the seasoning of life. Colossians says in 4, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to ev answer every man. It is the flavor of life. It is the seasoning of life. It is the preservation of life. We, are, we persevere by grace. We are kept by the grace of God. 
And, and it's a picture. In Mark 9, Jesus said that we ought to have salt in ourselves. And, and there ought to be grace inside of us. We are God's instruments of grace in the world. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. And that is what God, God uses us as instruments of grace in the world. And, 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 and when we see this, we find Elisha, what he's doing, he's pouring in the grace of God in these cursed waters. God has grace for every single need. And whatever's being pictured here, the idea is this, is that God has what you need to fix the problem that you have. You don't know what it is. It's probably something you wouldn't even think about. It's probably something you wouldn't choose. But God knows what it is. Let Him pour His grace into your life. There's the grace that was applied. And then lastly, and I'm done tonight, not only is the grief that was acknowledged and we see the guidance that was accepted and we see the grace that was applied. But I like this. I see the glory that was awarded. Because I like this in verse 21. We find out who gets the credit for these waters being healed. And he went forth unto the spring of waters and cast the salt in there. And here's what he said. Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. Elisha didn't pour that salt in there and say, I have healed these waters. That's not what Elisha said. He poured it in there and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. The credit went to God. God got the glory for what is going on. The Lord did the miracle. And by the way, let me remind you one more time before we go tonight, that's the business that's he's, that He's in. He is in the miracle working business. He is in the healing business. He is in the reversing the curse kind of business. And almost every miracle in the Bible reminds us of what God intended for life to be like way back in the Garden of Eden before sin got its dirty, nasty, filth the claws on this earth and on humanity because it, every miracle really is the righting of wrongs of sin. It's a restoration of what Eden was like and what it'll be in the kingdom of Jesus when He rules and reigns on this earth one day. Miracles do not invade the natural order, miracles restore things back to the way that God intended for them to be. God never intended eyes to be blind. He opens them up. God never intended legs to be crippled. He fixes them. God never intended man to be lame. God never intended waters to be poison. All this is the result of sin. And here comes God and He sets things back right. And I'm telling you something, right now we're waiting on physical restoration. One day we'll get glorified find bodies and all that'll be and all that'll be uh, put right in place and we'll have glorious bodies and we won't have to worry about any of these things but in the meantime I'm glad we don't have to wait on spiritual restoration you are as close to God as you want to be you are as healthy spiritually as you want to be you are as right with God as you want to be there is healing and there is grace and it all goes to God all the glory goes to God you don't have to wait to be saved. You can be saved today. You don't have to wait to be right with God. You can get right with God today. There's absolutely nothing that is hindering you, nothing that is, is uh, holding you back except the choices that you make. If you'll acknowledge your grief, if you'll obey 
what God tells you to do, if you will let Him apply His grace to your heart and your life, and you can sit back and give Him the glory for all that He's done. Miss Maggie, you can come around the piano. I'm done tonight. I don't need, know what you need the Lord to help you with, but it might be something that's hidden on the inside. Only you and God know about. Sometimes we think, well, only me and God know about it, but other people know. It manifests itself. When there's death and barrenness and wickedness and rebellion coming out of your life, we all know what's going on on the inside in here. But God can take His grace and He can put it in your heart. He can heal them poisonous waters. He can do a work. Because he is the God who reverses curses. Amen.